I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Well, like Benjamin mentioned, um, we are going to be in this series for the entirety of Lent and uh, even into Easter Sunday. Um, Man, friends, if you missed out on uh, Wednesday morning or noon or evening, uh, man, you you missed out on a a beautiful time of prayer and reflection. And um, even if you missed that, excuse me. Even if you miss that, my hope is that as we go through this series, that we would uh, be aware, just as we were on Wednesday, um, we would be aware of our state and the, the, the fleetiness of life and uh, what God actually brings to the table in Jesus and how we can trust in him. Um, this, this series, obviously, is just going to be going through these seven I am statements and um, you know, if Jesus says that he is these things, such as the true vine or the light of the world or the way, truth, and life, then in our recognition of his role, we must learn what he does and how he calls us to respond. We, we desire to know him and to be in his presence. So uh, before we get started, why don't we pray and ask that that would happen this morning. Jesus, we come before you humble with our hearts bowed low because you are the giver of all good gifts and because apart from you, as this text says, we can do nothing. And so, God, I pray this morning that you you would take uh, my feeble words and make them yours, that you would open the ears and, and the hearts and the eyes of your people to receive what you might have, And God, I pray that as we join in with the Lenten season, in this period of fasting, that you would help us decrease so that you would increase. We are in desperate need of your power in our lives, your presence in our lives. So would you give us these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, before we get started with the sermon, I just want to take a moment and uh, honor Beth and Steph who are leading us in worship this morning. Can we just honor them? Man, uh, I have the great privilege of getting to lead our music team on a regular basis, and uh, it is the, um, one of the greatest gifts to me that I am able to preach and not have to worry about music. I can just let it be, and they did such an amazing job this morning, and they're going to do great in the second hour as well. And so I just wanted to take some time to honor them. Uh, just, just really, really great job, gals. Um, thanks for doing it. Um, 
So end of the sermon. So uh, back when my grandmother, uh, my harmony as we call it in, in Korean, um, back when she was a little bit more spry, don't worry, we just celebrated her 87th birthday this week, and so she is alive and kicking. But back when she was a little bit more spry, she loved being in her garden. Uh, there, was, there was something about her that absolutely loved just, and this is back in Texas, friends, where it's like in the summers, it's like 105 degrees. She loved being out there. She loved going in and just working and sweating and laboring and toiling. And, and one of the things that I remember most about it is that she would take this massive, like, plastic bucket out there, and she'd go out, and she'd be out there for, you know, a couple hours, and then she'd come back in with, an, with vegetables that were overflowing the bucket, like enough to feed a small European country. It was, it was crazy. And I just always was so impressed with her and the fact that she could do this. I mean, like, just simply the strength to carry that indoors was, was impossible. Uh, now, now, me, on the other hand, uh, one time somebody gave me a plant that was, I quote, impossible to kill. <laughs> Two weeks later, dead, completely dead. I killed the plant. Um, I am a certified plant murderer. Um, if you actually go into my office right now, you will be able to see my most recent victim. It's sitting in the windowsill. It's the saddest thing of all time. Uh, I'm not very, very good at it. But um, for those of you who have tried your hand at gardening or taking care of plants, regardless if you've succeeded or failed, you know that it is a vastly intentional work. And it's a work that requires supernatural amounts of patience. Uh, and it, it, it's in every single part of that process that endurance is required from the tilling of the soil, to the planting of the seeds, to the watering and tending, to seeing it sprout, to one day being able to benefit and enjoy the literal fruits of your labor. It is a long game. Jesus knows this as he tells his disciples to abide in him. Now we're going to get to the word abide a little bit later. Uh, for now, I want to just give us a little bit of context to our passage this morning. Um, Jesus is spending the last free moments of his life pouring everything he can into the men who will become his church. For the better part of five chapters in the book of John, the Son of God is teaching his disciples all about the work that's in front of them, why it matters, and most importantly, uh, or you know, what or who actually will strengthen and empower them to do it. In this particular allegory, Jesus asserts that he is the true vine, that he's the true vine. Now, this would imply that there is a false vine or a lesser vine. Well, if we flip back to Isaiah chapter 5, we'll see what Jesus is referring to in this statement. And so if you want, you can turn in your Bible, Isaiah chapter 5. If not, it'll be on the screen here. I'll give you a little bit of time to flip there if you like. <clears throat> For the record, friends, I, I love flipping in our Bibles, turning in our Bibles, because it increases biblical literacy. It helps us to know where certain things are in the Bible, and I think it's always helpful, especially if we're wanting to preach the good news to people. So just a hint, I love, I'm always going to give us time to flip in our Bibles. So uh, this is Isaiah 5, and this is, I'm just going to read the first two verses. It says this, let me sing for my beloved my song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. 
He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. But he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded, it yielded wild grapes. It yielded wild grapes. Now, the prophet Isaiah, he's the one who's telling this story. And he goes on to say that he's actually just going to destroy this vineyard because of its uselessness. Um, he, wanted, he wanted grapes, choice grapes, and it yielded wild grapes. And so he was going to destroy it. Now, here's the hook of the story is that he tells the people of Israel that they are the wild and useless vine. And it's the Lord who's going to destroy the vineyard. Now, unfortunately, the people of God were never able to get it together, and they continued to yield wild grapes. And so the hope that was put into the disciples as Jesus said that he was the true vine, it was, it was palpable. It was a real and tangible hope. No longer would the wild vine prevail, but the true vine was here. And not only did Jesus say that he was the true vine, but he told his disciples that they were the branches, an important, dependent, and connected part of the plant. And so that leads us to the first thing that, that we can see in this passage is this, that we are the branches. We are the branches. Again, in verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. It's the part of the plant on which the fruit is found. And the purpose of the branch is to bear fruit. Jesus makes this very clear in our text in, in verse 2. He says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, if a branch doesn't bear fruit, it's taken away. And then if it does, it's made fit to bear more fruit. Now, this text has been preached like a million times, I'm sure. And so I don't want to do anything novel or new or try to like find something that nobody has ever found before because it's just not going to happen. Uh, and so I just want you to be reminded of a few things this morning. So the first question that I want to ask is this, is if, if we are the branches, then what is the fruit? If we are the branches, what is the fruit? Well, the most sensible answer to this question is found in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And so if you want to flip to Galatians, we're going to be in chapter 5. And I'm going to read uh, starting from verse 19, Galatians 5, 19. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of the Galatians. He says in verse 19 of chapter 5, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then here's verse 22, the important bit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Now, this is written this way because it should be obvious. It should be very, very obvious, the differences between the people who are of the world and the people who are followers of Jesus, branches of the vine. Again, it says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things the Father is looking for when he's doing his vine dressing work, right? It says the Father is the vine dresser. These are the fruit that should be growing out of us. These are the marks of a Christian. And friends, if you're in Jesus, not only should you be seeing these things in your life, like you should be keeping track if you're seeing these fruit in your life. Not only should you be doing this, but they should be obvious to others as well. They should be obvious. In in verse 8, just a little bit beyond our text this morning, uh, John says that uh, they will be able to tell that you're followers of me by your fruit. Now, if you, if you ask me to distinguish between an apple tree and an oak tree, and the apple tree didn't have any fruit on it, um, it might be foolish, but I, I wouldn't be able to tell you the difference. I looked up the pictures on Google, friends. I, I couldn't tell the difference between an oak tree and an apple tree if the apple tree did not have any apples. Likewise, if we are not exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, how will anyone be able to tell that we are any different from the world? They'd be very hard-pressed. Now, some of you in the room might be thinking the thought, well, you know, only, only God can judge me. Only, only God can judge my life. Friends, he will. He will. And for some of us, it's a scary thing. But God will. But not only that, not only that, but if a quote-unquote grapevine, if a grapevine went its entire lifespan without producing one single grape, wouldn't you have your doubts? Oh, but the, but the vine said it was a grapevine. Listen, what, what I'm saying is that the proof, the proof is in the fruit. The proof is in the fruit. Sometimes we go through hard times and the fruit that we bear is, is minuscule and maybe even non-existent. Okay, but th- this is not the norm for the follower of Jesus. Friends, there will be moments of fruitlessness, but there will also be moments where we will have an abundance that can only be explained by the work of God. There will be moments of dry, measly fruit being born, but there will also be moments where not only will you get to taste and enjoy the fruit you grow, but others will be able to taste it and give glory to God because of your fruitfulness. For the branch that is truly in the vine of Christ, there may be moments of weakness, But the norm, the norm is that you are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. The second question I would like to ask is, if we are the branches, then what is the vine dresser doing? If we are the branches, then what is the vine dresser doing? Jesus says that the Father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser's job is to cultivate the vines, to work in the vineyard in such a way as to produce maximum fruit in quality and quantity. This is the work of the Father according to Jesus. And he goes on to mention the two things that the Father does in verse 2 of our text. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, being the Father, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, like I mentioned earlier, my grandma, 
I never called her a vine dresser. That word wasn't in my vocabulary when I was a child. Um, but that, that's, really, that's really what she was. She was a vine dresser. She did the hard labor of pruning plants to stimulate more growth and taking out the branches that were unproductive so as to not take away nutrition from the branches that were productive. Likewise, God the Father accomplishes two things in this illustration. He takes away fruitless branches and he prunes the fruitful branches. Let's start with the taken away. He takes away the branches that don't bear fruit. I'm not talking about small fruit, okay? I'm not talking about sour fruit or the discolored fruit that we don't want to buy from the store. I'm talking about no fruit, zero fruit. These are the people whose lives are completely void of the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians. Jesus says this about those branches in John 15, verse 6. He says, these branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. He's making a point that this is all a fruitless branch is good for. It's just firewood. And they must be taken away because they detract from the health of the entire organism, the entire plant. Everyone in this room has dealt with, at one point or another, maybe like an underperforming or worse yet, a non-performing coworker or teammate or staff member. Now, though there ought to be grace upon grace upon grace as God has shown to us, there are times where it makes the most sense to take away the branch. And as difficult as it can be, it is the same for God the Father, who takes branches away not from a place of joy. He's not joyful when he takes those branches, but he does it from a place of sorrow because he desires for all to be in him. Now, that's starting to get into like another sermon. We'll preach that another week, but um, we'll go on. Now, the second task of the vine dresser is to prune the branches that are bearing fruit. To prune the branches that are bearing fruit. Now, some of you probably know better than me, but again, I had the help of Google and the internet. Um, and so I had to look up, like, what exactly is pruning? Like, what, 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 what are we doing when we prune? And so pruning, I'm going to pretend like I know this. This is from my brain without the internet. Pruning is, from, uh, is, is a specific and targeted cutting or a removal from certain parts of a plant or a tree. Now, the purpose of this is not just to torment the tree, right? It's not killing the tree, death by a thousand cuts. That's not what's happening. The purpose of pruning is to promote growth, to help the tree more healthily bear fruit. And not only does pruning actually promote uh, more fruit and growth, but it actually, in most cases, certain types of pruning promotes strength in the tree. It actually helps to prevent injury and fractures in what would normally be weak points for a tree or a plant. Now, if, if you're thinking what I'm thinking and pruning produces these things, I'm like crying out to God, like, prune me. That's like a weird way of saying it. Probably don't say that. But, um, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like we have this desire, like if we know that pruning produces more strength in us and it helps us to bear more fruit, then we're crying out to the Spirit, God, I want this to happen in my life. Would you just, would you just help me to grow in you? We were this way until it happens, until it happens. When God starts to strip back the things that aren't helpful to your walk with him, or he sets you in a momentary discomfort or pain for the purpose of strengthening your dependence on him, it hurts. It hurts. And this is the truth for both 
taking the branch away and pruning. This is not a non-invasive surgery with a quick recovery. This is a full-on, open heart, your insides are on the outside type of work. Now, Scottish theologian and preacher Sinclair Ferguson, he, he says it this way. He says, we are called, as part of the abiding process, to submit to the pruning knife of God in the providences by which he cuts away all disloyalty and sometimes all that is unimportant in order that we might remain in Christ all the more wholeheartedly. What he's trying to say here is that there may be things that are pruned that actually aren't bad things in and of themselves, but they are useless in our pursuit of God. This is the exact image that fights against the cultural narrative of God, God just accepts me as I am. I don't have to change. God just accepts me as I am. Now, friends, the first part of that is, is true. And this is good news, that as you are right now, faults and all, the arms of the Father are ready to embrace you into his care. And yet, and yet he will not let you stay as you are. He wants growth in you. He desires to see you bear fruit. He wants you to be strengthened in confidence, not in yourself, but in him. This is why he does the work of a vine dresser. Now, the second big thing that I, that I think we see in this text is this, is we need to abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Now, the word abide is kind of a funny one to me because I, I think it's, it's one word that has landed like squarely in this group of words and phrases that we call Christianese. Is anyone familiar with this term, Christianese? Raise your hand if you've heard that before. All right, so... I'll tell you right now, it's not an actual language, okay? It's not a whole different language. Christianese isn't. Uh, but it, it's actually just like a group of sayings or expressions or idioms found fairly exclusively in church circles, okay? So it's just things that church people say. And people outside of that, they usually don't really know what they're saying. And so one of them, again, like, you know, people are just like, oh, I just want to abide in Jesus. I want to abide in him. Like, nobody knows what you're talking about. You talk to your non-believing friends, they have no clue what you mean. You know, the, the, my least favorite is, uh, God, like, I want a hedge of protection around my family. You know, hedge of protection. People don't know what you're talking about when you say that. Um, and, then, and then the last one that I think is probably the most ubiquitous among Christianese-speaking circles is, uh, oh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going through, like, a really dark season. A really dark season. Friends, just say you're having a bad time. It's Okay. People will understand. Your non-Christian friends will thank you if you just say you're having a bad time, okay? Um, anyways, th this word abide, we, we actually just don't have a place for it outside of like the biblical and church context. We don't use that word outside of these four walls. And, you know, maybe, maybe some of us have a place for it in our minds in the secular world, like, you know, like an unmentionable old Jeff Bridges flick or something like that, you know. But, but I think that we've, we as a people have actually lost the meaning of the word abide. We've lost its meaning. And because we've lost its meaning, I think we've actually lost our ability to do it. Because we don't know what it is. And so we can't do it. Now, now for the sake of all of us here, I want to give you just a few simple definitions of the word abide. To abide means to wait. It means to endure. And my favorite, it means to bear patiently. To bear patiently. 
What I love about it is this, this word has like the taste of longevity on it. It has implications of eternity. When you define it, there, there's nothing about it that seems to be fleeting or short. It's a word that's stuck in. It's stuck in. It's a batten down the hatches and buckle up for a long time type of word. And yet many of us, we're just not stuck in people. We, in fact, are fleeting people. Some of us, as soon as we meet resistance in any situation, we pack our bags and move on to the next thing. Now, that may be a job, maybe friendships. For, for some of us, it's, it's been church. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't legitimate reasons to move on from those things. There are. There are legitimate reasons. But, but I'm talking about a wherever the wind blows kind of fleeting. This is in us. And so, when Jesus tells his disciples, a group to which we belong if we claim to be followers of him, when he tells his disciples to abide in him, he's telling them to join with him in an eternal waiting, enduring, and patient bearing. It is a waiting that is fueled by the hope of his return. It is an enduring that will be honored and rewarded in the new heavens and new earth. And it is a patient bearing that will be relieved by God himself as he restores all the, right, all the rights and wrongs done to you for abiding in him. Now, this, this, this begs me to say that when, when we talk about abiding, friends, this is not a state of doing. Abiding is not a state of doing, it is a state of being. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time because it's really, really important. Abiding is not a state of doing, but it is a state of being. Some of you may come from a tradition that to be with the Lord means to do. Or maybe there's a big part of you that actually still believes that, that you can't be with Jesus unless you're checking off all of the boxes, or that you can't enjoy him without cleaning up your life first. Let me tell you, Flourishing Grace, that is an evil lie straight from the enemy's camp. Don't believe it. Do not believe it. Satan wants you to be busy. He wants you to be distracted. The last thing that he wants you to do is to simply be with Jesus, to abide in him. Now, there's actually a story in Luke's gospel that perfectly portrays what we're talking about here. And so if you want, you can turn to Luke chapter 10. Some of you may be familiar with the story. This is the story of Martha and Mary. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. <clears throat> Here's the story. Now, as they, the disciples and Jesus, went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. 
Friends, Jesus says one thing is necessary. Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, it's not that what she was doing was inherently bad or evil, but it was her thought that serving Jesus was more important than what was necessary, and that was what Mary was doing, sitting at his feet, being, not doing. This is what it looks like to abide, to simply be satisfied by being in his presence. Now, I actually want to clarify something about uh, the fruit that we talked about earlier. Friends, the fruit is not the goal. The fruit is not the goal. Jesus is the goal. We don't live our lives in pursuit of the fruit. We live our lives in pursuit of Jesus. We're not devoting our lives to joy, peace, patience, etc. That's what the world tries to do. We who call ourselves Christian, we live our lives in devotion to Jesus. Our goal is Jesus. The ends of our means are, is Jesus. The final resting place in which all of our burdens fade away, that's in Jesus. He is the true vine in which the branches can abide. Our joy doesn't come from bearing fruit. It comes from abiding in the true vine. It is out of relationship with him that causes the fruit to grow. It is out of that relationship that ministry happens. Listen, friends, we don't want to get it backwards. Fruit doesn't yield Jesus. Jesus is the one who yields the fruit. Ministry doesn't beget Jesus. Jesus is the one who begets ministry. All these good and beautiful things, they flow out of a life abiding in Christ. These good things are useless if, you, if they aren't taking you to the feet of Jesus to just be with him. So if you're not abiding in Christ, if you don't spend your days just thinking about him, wanting to be in his presence, talking with him, listening for his voice, apart from him, he says you can do nothing. I didn't mention it earlier, but, but the reality The reality of the branch that doesn't bear fruit because it has not abided in the true vine of Jesus, he says that it will be thrown away, gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, friends, I want to be very, very clear here. I I don't personally think that Jesus is making an explicit explicit statement on hell in this passage. I, I don't think that's exactly what he's saying. But I do think That hell is the eventual reality for those who refuse to abide in Jesus. He says, apart from him, you can do nothing. And like I said earlier, it should be clear by the fruit being born in your life if you are abiding in him or not. But here's the good news. Here's the good news, friends. It's not the fruit that saves you. It's not the fruit that saves you. It's not your works that save you. It is simply being with Jesus that saves you. It is trusting his work that saves you. To abide in him, this is what saves you. I want to conclude our time by by getting just a little bit more practical. Just a little bit more practical. So let's start with this question. Well, how do I know if I am a branch in the vine of Jesus? How do I know that? Friends, you start by confessing that he's the true vine. That's where you start, that he is the only source of true life, that he did what the Bible says he did. It's die on the cross for our sins and was raised three days later. And those who trust in him can be be joined in that resurrection. 
Your only hope of salvation and flourishing is found in him, the true vine. Friends, your concern, if you don't believe that he's the true vine, your concern is not the fruit. Understand with your mind and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that he is who the Bible says he is. If you've taken that step, if you've already taken that step, you are in Christ. You are in Christ, and now we must abide. Though abiding in Jesus is not natural for the fallen man, there is beauty in its simplicity. Now, what what do I mean by that? Well, you don't have to be advanced in age to know that the times are changing. At any given moment, the culture that is being sold to us can turn upside down in regards to what it says we should buy with our money, what we should do with our bodies, or what we should teach, teach all of our kids, and so on. And friends, it just wears me out. Does it wear anyone else out? Is anyone tired of this? And, and so the person of Jesus, in contrast to the moving target that is our world, the person of Jesus, he is constant. He's constant. He's steady. And our text says that he promises to abide in us if we abide in him. And Jesus, this is what he brings. He brings his immutability, right? The state of his not changing. He brings his steadfastness. He brings his stuck-in nature. He steadies our ever-changing hearts and minds. He is the solid rock where everything else is sinking sand. And so seek to be with him. Spend time with him. Get in your Bible and listen, listen to him speak to you through his word. We actually just did this in our Ash Wednesday gathering where you just open up a psalm and you pray, God, speak to me through the psalm. You read it slowly. And sure enough, God highlights words in there that, that, go, that apply to you and that go through uh, the things that you're going through. It's an amazing thing that he does when he speaks to you. But you just have to sit there and allow him to do it. What else can we do? And we can pray. And friends, I mean like pray like somebody's on the other side. There are many of us in this room who are functional atheists because when we pray, we believe that nobody's listening. Let's fix that. God is there and he's listening. And friends, when I say pray, I don't mean just asking God for things. Like do that. And that's totally fine. The Bible says we should do that. But tell him how your day was. Tell him how you saw him moving in your workplace or in your school or in your home. Thank him for the sun coming out. I'm tired of these dreary winter days. Like, bring the sun out. Thank him for that, you know? Treat God like a person who wants to hang out with you, not like some distant king with a scowl on his face. What else can we do? We can also learn to love one another. 1 John 4, verse 16, or uh, verses 11 says this. He says, Beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Yet if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. What the Apostle John, who wrote the book of John, what he's trying to say here is that the invisible God is actually made visible in our love for one another. And so spend spend real time with one another. Don't just exchange pleasantries, like exchange life experience. We talked about opening up our homes last week. Do it. Like, start there. If, um, you know, if if we don't open up our homes, if we don't actually commit to doing real life with one another, we're never going to learn to love one another. And this is how we see God abide in us. Now, if if this whole sermon has kind of given you all some excitement about abiding, like, friends, go and read 1 John. 
It's just five chapters. It's really short, but the whole letter is filled with this language of abiding in God, what it looks like, how it happens. The last, last practical thing. Maybe, maybe you're a Christian here, and you believe that Jesus is the true vine, but you've just borne little fruit. You just can't seem to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. First of all, you, you must understand that the fruit of the Spirit is birthed out of the Spirit's work in your life. If Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, the lifeblood that courses through it all is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who is supplying and promoting and nurturing the fruit in your life. And so start by fervently, fervently praying to the Holy Spirit that he would supernaturally cause you to abound in fruit. And, and I think specifically we need to be praying for the ones that are hardest to come by in our own nature. Now, me, I'd like to think that I'm a fairly patient person. Uh, maybe you ask some of my friends. Maybe they don't agree. But I, th- I like to think that I'm a pretty patient person. Um, now, gentleness, very few, if anyone, would describe me as being a gentle person. And so I just need to pray, Holy Spirit, would you give me the gift of gentleness in my life? Help me to practice gentleness to those around me because I just don't have it in myself to muster up. Just pray this way. And even more practically, this is something that I've been trying to do, is if I know that I'm struggling with gentleness, what I do is I seek out a fellow saint who I feel like displays gentleness really well, and I say, hey, can we, can we go and have coffee, or can we grab lunch? And I just want to talk to you about how you promote gentleness in your life, because I need that. Friends, this is really easy. And so if you see someone in this church, another fellow Christian, who, and I'm not saying they have to have it all together, right? Because there are some people who are really good at being gentle, but maybe they don't do so great with patience. There are some people who are really, really good at joy, but for some reason, they're also really good at anger. (laughs) You know, I'm not saying this person has to have it all together, but just one thing that you see lacking in yourself, find it in someone else and say, hey, can you teach me how you do that? Can you help me to grow that fruit in my life? Because, man, I am in desperate need for that. And try that, try that today. After this gathering, as we're all hanging out, maybe try it. But again, friends, none of this, none of this happens if you don't believe that Jesus is the true vine, that he is the basis and the source of life and flourishing. To be a branch attached to the vine of Christ is where the most beauty is found. It is where our deepest desires are fulfilled. We, we spend so much time So much time attaching ourselves to other things, lesser things. And ultimately, those things are going to run out. The fruit from those vines are fleeting. They're not enduring. The fruit will be temporary. But as we abide in Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, they're they're eternal. Have you thought about that? The fruit of the Spirit are, are things that are never going to fade away. That they will be with us in the new heavens and new earth. Gosh, what a what a beautiful day. But more importantly, in the new heavens and new earth, friends, we're going to be with him. We're going to be with Jesus. Remember, the fruit is not the goal. Jesus is the goal. And oh, what a day. What a day. Friends, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. This is what this Lenten season is to show us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But with him, with him, all things are possible. And so why don't we commit to abiding in the true vine of Jesus in me today? Let me pray for us.